On May 26, 1973, a group of nine divers arrived at the city of Mount Gambier in South Australia. Their intention was to go cave diving at the shaft, a three-feet-wide sinkhole opening leading to a large underwater cavern. The shaft was famous among divers for its clear water and interesting internal structure. The entrance to the shaft was discovered in 1938 in a field known as Thompson's Paddock when one of a team of horses stumbled over a small hole about one foot across. The hole was later opened to about three feet for exploration access. The first dive in the hole was made by a local diver in the mid-1960s, and thousands of dives were made after. The main chamber of the cave is about 460 feet long and 260 feet wide, with two large tunnels leading off from either side of a rock pile. Divers and their equipment have to be lowered into the hole in order to explore the water. The name, The Shaft, is claimed to be derived from the bright shaft of sunlight which penetrates through the entrance to the depths. The eight divers intending to venture into the shaft in May of 1973 were John H. Bockerman, Peter S. Burr, siblings Christine, Glenn, and Stephen Millot, along with Larry Reynolds, Gordon G. Roberts, and Robert J. Smith. The exact pronunciation of their last names may differ. The ninth group member, Joan Harper, decided she wouldn't be diving and would instead remain beside the sinkhole preparing food and assisting the group in other ways. On May 27, 1973, the group signed the guestbook at the farmhouse of B.V. Ashby and completed a successful dive at the sinkhole. During the dive, they extended a shot line approximately 150 feet into the water. A shot line is a type of descending line consisting of a weight, a line, and a buoy. The line is used by divers as a visual and tactile reference to move between the surface and the dive site more safely, and is a controlled position for in-water stage decompression stops. The shot line reached the primary point of interest known as the rock pile, a central pile of limestone rubble directly below the sinkhole entrance. They briefly explored the perimeter of the rock pile before surfacing. With their shot line already in place, the group planned to return the next morning and continue exploring the cavern. The group arrived at the sinkhole on the morning of May 28, 1973, after refilling their breathing cylinders at Mount Gambier. The group quickly descended to the rock pile. They had not planned to explore beyond a point called The Edge, a narrow and downward-sloping continuation of the cave on one side of the main chamber, far from the natural light shaft provided by the sinkhole opening. The rock pile was considered the boundary for safe recreational diving. The surrounding cavern was dark, unexplored, covered in loose silt and limestone rubble. The cavern continued downward to depths where the effects of nitrogen narcosis become extreme if breathing gas is not diluted by helium. Nitrogen narcosis is an alteration of consciousness that occurs when diving very deep. It is caused by the anesthetic effect of certain gases at high pressure. 
it produces a state similar to drunkenness. Narcosis can be completely reversed in a matter of minutes by ascending to a shallower depth. Even at the depths of the rock pile perimeter, the effects of narcosis would have been significant. This may have been impacting the judgment of the divers. Even though the initial descent went smoothly, the eight divers neglected several recognized safety procedures early in the dive. The shot line did not extend all the way to the cavern floor and was not equipped with extra air tanks, nor were the divers prepared with adequate air management strategies. The group had not established specific diving partners. A man part of the group by the name of Robert Smith, who had dived at the sinkhole on eight previous occasions, had established most of the group's dive plan. Robert was not expecting some of the members of the group to venture as far into the cave as they did. Thus, only four of the eight divers ended up making it back to the surface that day. It took the piecing together of the separate accounts of the four surviving divers to figure out what went wrong during the dive. The accounts are as follows. At the perimeter of the rock pile, around 180 feet deep, Robert Smith, age 26, began to feel the effects of nitrogen narcosis. As an experienced diver, Robert was very familiar with the symptoms of nitrogen narcosis. Robert Smith signaled to his group that he was returning to the top of the rock pile. The group signaled that they were going to continue exploring. Smith stayed by the rock pile, circling it for about eight minutes, while searching for animal bones. He then saw the torch of Glenn, age 25, returning from the direction the others had gone. Glenn had actively been monitoring his air and knew that he was out of time. He had attempted to tap his sister, Christine, on the arm and remind her that her time was also up, but the two were separated before he could. Robert and Glenn met and surfaced together. When they surfaced, they found that Larry Reynolds had already returned from his dive. Half a minute later, Peter Burr surfaced with almost no air left in his tank. Knowing the others would have similarly low air supplies, Glenn quickly put on a spare tank and returned to the water. He descended to a depth of 225 feet, where the cliff began to drop off. At the edge, he found his brother Stephen's torch and camera. A significant amount of silt had been disturbed, and visibility had been reduced to nearly zero. Glenn had no choice but to return to the surface. By the time he surfaced, an ambulance had arrived at the cave. Peter Burr returned to the cavern for one more look, but found nobody. At that point, the group was aware that they were looking for bodies and not survivors. Larry Reynolds mentioned that when he was turning around to return to the surface, he saw Christine, age 19, and Gordon, age 28, attempt to ascend quickly back to the rock pile. However, instead of ascending along the slope they went down, they swam straight up, possibly because they were worried their air would run out soon. The two divers swam directly upward into a dome in the ceiling, which had no exit. Larry Reynolds reported seeing their torches frantically searching for an exit. According to Larry, Christine and Gordon looked frightened. This was the last time the two were seen. They were likely suffering from nitrogen narcosis and surrounded in silt, 
allowing minimal visibility. It is thought that the two failed to find an exit, exhausted their air supply, and drowned. Their bodies were later found together below the ceiling dome that they had failed to escape. Further down and around the same time, one surviving diver said they witnessed John Bockerman of their group swimming strongly downward further into the cave. John was likely under the effects of severe nitrogen narcosis and may have been unaware that he was swimming to his demise. His body was located about 20 feet further from where he was last seen and was at the greatest depth of the four victims. The fourth victim, Stephen, age 22, may have been seen lost beneath the cave ceiling shortly before the surviving divers surfaced. Although his torch and camera were found deep at the base of the rock pile, his body was found under an overhang at a depth of only 50 feet. Compared with the other victims, little is known about Stephen's final moments. A search of the cave by the police underwater recovery squad to a depth of 200 feet was initiated on May 29, 1973, the day after the accident. The search was brief and no bodies were found. The team was aware that they were underprepared for a dive in such conditions. A second attempt was made on May 30th, again unsuccessful. The police search was ultimately postponed as the team sought naval expertise on the dive, and the training for which was expected to take several months. The following January, the landowners of the sinkhole permitted a television film crew, making a documentary on cave diving in the lower southeast, to enter the sinkhole. On January 22, 1974, the crew descended to a depth of 50 feet, and, using professional lighting equipment, illuminated the cave like daylight. A technician looking in the direction of two of his teammates noticed what appeared to be a third person behind them. Further inspection revealed that it was a body in a wetsuit. The team immediately surfaced together to report their findings. On the morning of January 23, 1974, Police arrived at the sinkhole and dove to a depth of 50 feet, where they found a body floating under a ledge against the sloped cavern roof. The body was towed out and later identified as Stephen. The landowners of the shaft, growing increasingly uncomfortable with the remaining three bodies stuck on their property, approached an amateur diving team from Melbourne to begin recovery efforts. However, the police diving team was also finalizing their recovery preparations around the same time. On March 9, 1974, R.G. Trainer and a team of divers entered the shaft, equipped with substantially improved diving gear. At a depth of 185 feet, Trainer saw a body below him laying on its back and a second body directly beneath it. These were the bodies of Christine and Gordon. Twenty feet deeper, Trainer also located the body of John Bockerman beneath a rock ledge. The next day, the divers attempted to return and recover the bodies, but did not succeed, and the effort was called off after the water became too murky. Several more dives were attempted, but the bodies could not be relocated. Finally, on the third day of diving, the bodies were found, and Christine and Gordon were recovered. Attempts were made to recover John's body, which was the deepest, the following morning, 
But the divers aborted the recovery because of the onset of nitrogen narcosis. The divers were sent home for a month to recover from the extended efforts and to further train for the final body recovery. Finally, John Bachermann's body was recovered from the cave on April 9, 1974, about 11 months after the accident. The coroner, Special Magistrate R.F. Stokes, concluded that the four divers overstayed their bottom time, ran out of air, and expired from hypoxia. A further finding was that, although all the divers claimed to be experienced, and four of them were instructors, none of them were experienced cave divers, and no appropriate safety precautions had been taken. Following the accident, Robert Smith alleged that he experienced severe nitrogen narcosis at 180 feet on the initial dive, but experienced no narcotic effects after grabbing a spare tank and returning to depth to search for the others. He also claimed to be experienced at diving to depths up to 300 feet without experiencing notable narcotic effects. The tank he took on the first dive had been filled at Mount Gambier, while the spare tank taken for his second dive to search for the missing divers had been filled back in Sydney. Smith is quoted as saying there was something wrong with the local air and proceeded to claim that contamination during the filling of the cylinders at Mount Gambier may have been the cause of the four fatalities. An expert in diving medicine, Dr. A.B. McCant, was tasked with the examination of the cylinders recovered from Robert Smith and the rest of the party. After extensive examination and laboratory tests on the cylinder contents, he concluded that the allegations of impure air were entirely without foundation and that it was solely the neglect of safety measures that ultimately led to the lost lives.